Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning. My name is Josh, and uh, I get to open the scriptures with you today as we begin a new season of our series in 1 Corinthians. We've been studying uh, the book of 1 Corinthians now uh, all year long, and we're going to continue this series. And this season we're calling Saints and Stones, which I hope that makes more sense later than it does right now. Um, but as I was studying for this, I was uh, reading in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where we are today. And I was reminded of this time I went to this really nice restaurant. You know, um, it, it, was, it was a steakhouse, really nice steakhouse, probably one of those, you know, gift card situations, right? Because uh, I, I, felt, I, felt like, I felt like this is the time when I'm going to order a really nice steak, Okay, I'm talking like a ribeye steak, right? You know, with the marbling all throughout. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I, I, I'm talking about this, the, the steak that has the, the butter just sizzling on top when it comes out. The kind that you just, your, your knife just sinks into it. Oh, and I remember as I took my first bite, all the flavors just went all throughout my mouth. And as I was swallowing, I thought to myself, oh no, I forgot to ask if this steak had been offered in sacrifice to an idol. I, I had no idea. And, and, and you've probably been there before, how awkward it is to call out the chef and say, hey, by the way, did the cow get like sacrificed to some foreign idol? And then, you know, you have to call the butcher and the entire time your steak's getting cold, you've been there. No. No, of course you haven't. Of course you haven't been there. Um, however, the church in Corinth, they had. They had. Because uh, actually, I'm, I, I'm bringing this up is in, our, in a sermon today called Life in the Gray because this is exactly how this passage starts. Paul begins, now concerning food offered to idols. Now, I just have to point out something to you, and that is that, that one of the distinctives of First Corinthians is that he's writing to a church family that he knows really well, so well that they have written him a letter that he's now responding to. So in this part of the letter, it, it, he's in some Q&A time. More than half of the letter is written in response to their questions. Okay, we've already started going through some of these. Um, earlier in, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, now concerning the matters which you wrote, and he answers some questions about uh, marriage or not to marry, right? Uh, then in, uh, in uh, 725, it says, now concerning the betrothed, they had asked him this question. And then in 12.1, uh, in a few months, we're going to get to this, um, they, he's answering questions about spiritual gifts. Finally, now concerning the collection of the saints. Okay? We assume that all of these, as he kind of abruptly transitions from one topic to the next, are Paul's answers to their questions. And so here we are in a situation in which the church in Corinth has asked them a question, a very particular question, a very obscure question. Because before I begin to you, I uh, begin this sermon, really, I have to admit something to you. My story was a complete lie. 
it was Sizzler. <laughs> and no, uh, clearly, I have never, ever, 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 ever even thought to ask the question, is my steak sacrificed, was my steak sacrificed to idols before they cooked it for me, before they prepared it for me? That's just not a question that we ask. And I'm guessing that there's not many of you that woke up this morning thinking to themselves, gee, I'd really like to hear a sermon about food sacrificed to idols. Because that's a moral quandary that I've been dealing with lately, right? No, nobody is asking this question. This is not on the, the top 100 topics that preachers love to talk about, right? Um, odds are there's been very few sermons on this. And yet, I'm excited to be here because we're studying the book. And so we're going we're gonna to tackle whatever comes our way in this book, including obscure passages. But I have to point out, though, that as we do so, I just, I feel like I have, to, I have to be honest with you. That here in this passage that Paul starts in chapter 8, verse 1, he's actually going to continue it and end it in 10. Okay, 11 verse 1 is actually the end of his answer. All right, so I'm going to begin in 8, and then we're going to transition to chapter 10. In the middle, there's going to be some other things that we'll talk about in the weeks to come. However, that means that Paul gives two and a half Pages of sacred scripture answering the question about meat sacrificed to idols. Now, I, I think to myself, man, two and a half pages. We don't even have a page on things like LGBTQ issues, right? I, I would love, I would love one page on that, right? I mean, the church is split over, over much lesser things, okay? Like how to do baptism, um, Church politics and church structure. The church has split over these things. Wouldn't it be nice to have one page on some of that, right? I mean, uh, these days, wouldn't it be great to have a page on on dealing with the, the, the pain and suffering that we deal with when we hear that tragedy happens, especially with kids? I mean, my goodness, wouldn't that be great? Yet there's all sorts of other areas where we want answers and One of the things I have to point out to you today is that this book is not just a list of answers for us. There's many times throughout life that we have problems and issues, and you can search through this book, and you can't quite find it. You can't quite find a clear answer to it. Things that we deal with all the time, things like dating, no, not in here. Clothing choices, music choices, casual drinking, uh, smoking, movies. How about R-rated movies? Um, television shows. Can, you, can we go on a Netflix binge? Is that okay to do? Um, doesn't quite uh, talk about that too much, right? Um, how about getting a tattoo? Swearing, gambling, um, video games hit all. Video games containing violence. I mean, wh- what about all of these issues, what about sending your kid to a public school or not? Uh, these, there's so many questions that we deal with on a regular basis. They're just not, not directly expressed. So now, here we are in a situation where we have a question that we didn't ask. <laughs> Getting two pages. But here's 
the key, and here's what I think is so important about today, is that Paul doesn't actually give us a clear answer. Instead, he teaches us how to think. And that is what we're here from. So if, if you're thinking, okay, um, I, I don't really, don't really want to hear a sermon about food sacrifice to idols. It's okay, you're not. We're going to have a sermon about how to think whenever there are gray issues in our life, all right? And so, but in order to do that, I thought this would be an appropriate time to kind of walk you through how we go from an, a relatively obscure passage to applying truth today. And so what we do is we, we begin with the historic truth. So we're going to spend a good amount of time looking at that question and looking at how Paul answers it. But from that, we're going to try to look at a timeless, some timeless principles that apply. And from those timeless principles, we can say, all right, God, what are you saying to us today? Okay, so that's going to be our, our kind of outline as we go about this. But all of it is to answer the question, what do we do when life is gray? How do we live life in the gray areas that aren't clear, aren't always black and white? And so we're going to begin by reading chapter 8 of uh, 1 Corinthians. And so if you want to turn to me, with me there, um, as we see, he says, now concerning food sacrifice to offer to idols. Now, um, before we do that, let me just kind of point out the context here, what's going on. Why is this even a question? Well, so here's the deal. Um, in those days, meat was very rare, okay? Um, eating meat would be very rare. It wasn't like an, an everyday thing. It wasn't like you could go out, you know, to a fast food place and get a burger. Um, that was super, super rare. Some people, they, they may not eat meat more than a couple times a year, okay? It was expensive, and sometimes they had to actually kill one of the animals that they're raising in order to eat meat. So this is not a regular occurrence for many in the ancient world. Unless, that is, you lived in a city like Corinth. Because in Corinth, there was not one, but there were three temples to pagan gods. There was one to Aphrodite, one to Poseidon, and one to Apollo. And in all of the, the worship of all three of those, sacrifice was a big part of that. Sacrificing animals. And sure enough, as animals were sacrificed, very little of the animal actually got burnt up in a sacrifice. So sometimes it was even just the blood. And so you're left with a lot of meat. And just like the principles of supply and demand... When there is a lot of meat, the prices go down. So especially in times of festivals, worshiping these gods, meat would be plentiful. Meat would be cheap, and you can actually feed your family with meat for once. And so here's where these early Christians are in a place thinking to themselves, well, what do I do? Uh, for must, much of their life, they have been sacrificing the, these animals, and they've been eating it as a way of form of worship, in a sense. And so now they're asking, can I still eat this meat? I really, really want to. And that's where they are, all right? So here's, here's how he answers them. He begins to answer. He gives them Paul's kind of answer. He says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Okay, this word gnosis, knowledge, uh, is not just information. It's specifically like a spiritual kind of knowledge. All right, so all of us have this knowledge. He's talking to Christians. We have knowledge, but then this knowledge 
puffs up. Okay? Think of the, the puffer fish that get bigger in order to look better than they are, right? And that's what spiritual knowledge can do to us. It can make us feel better about ourselves. And sure enough, that's what Paul says, that love, or the knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He's making a comparison here, and he's saying that love is better. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. There's so much in life that we don't know as we ought to know yet. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, he's making this distinction here between the value of spiritual knowledge. Okay, he's not saying it's bad. He's just saying that there's a purpose to spiritual knowledge. That the true purpose of any spiritual knowledge, especially in, in Christian spiritual knowledge, the true purpose is love. Because love builds up. In fact, if we look into this phrase a little bit more, he is known by God. This, this phrase uh, is, is really just one word in the Greek, and it can be, it's translated most of the time in a passive voice, okay? Now, not to confuse you, not to get into too much here, but, but a passive voice would mean that the person that is, that is talking about, so he or she here, the, the, the subject of this sentence is not doing anything, is not participating at all. So that person is just known by God. Now, interesting, it can just as easily be translated in a middle voice, which means that the person is passive and active, that he is participating and not. So you, this is how a, a lot of scholars suggest that we read this. If anyone loves God, he or she is known by God, but also has experienced true knowing. There's a type of knowing that we receive when we are living in love. This is huge for us. To be known by God is to experience true knowing. The passage goes on in verse 4, saying, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one, okay? So we know, we have spiritual knowledge here. We now know that the, that it, the idol is just wood. It's just stone. There's nothing real to it. And so, for the, although there may be so-called gods in heaven and or on earth, as indeed there are many, and in quotes here, lowercase g, gods, and many lords, Yet for us, okay, and this line, for us right here, he's launching into an ancient creedal statement. Okay, this could have been a hymn that they sung together. Because all of a sudden he kind of changes his voice and says, there is one God, we know. This is the spiritual knowledge that we have as Christians. There is one God, the Father from whom all things, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. This beautiful statement. We know this, but, it goes on, however, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody kind of has this figured out yet. There's new Christians that are among us that haven't figured this out yet. Some through former association with idols, 
eat food as really offered to an idol. You see, so what they're doing is that they're continuing to eat as if it were the same old way they used to eat. As if they as if there was worship to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You see, what Paul's suggesting here is that as Christians who rightfully realize that there is nothing inherently spiritual about a piece of meat, as Christians who realize that, we have to be careful that there, are not, that there are not other Christians around us who are thinking that there is something spiritual about it. See, he, he's suggesting that while there's nothing inherently wrong about it, we have to be careful not to allow our actions to influence others who feel like it would be a sin. Because they would be likely to follow us in eating, and when they do, they would be convicted because they believe it's a sin. And so if they're doing something that they believe is a sin, then that's a sin for them, and then we are in trouble of causing them to sin. This is what he's saying. The fact of the matter is, what he's telling us is that, hey, as a saint, as someone who is, who is trusted in the name of Jesus, as someone who's been washed clean, is now pure, that saints, we can become stones. And so, saint, let's not be a stone to the people around us. Let's not be a stumbling block to them around us. And to make it clear, he explains exactly how this would work. And uh, don't mind this, this is wrong. And verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat the food offered to idols? Okay, now, if a conscience is weak in Paul's mind, that would mean that it has an legalistic conscience, meaning that they, they still think they have to follow all of the rules. And if they break any of the rules, then they're sinning. That's a weak conscience in Paul's view. And so they would eat food. They would actually continue in it. And so by your knowledge, this person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Now, why is it destroyed? Okay, real quick, there's an, another principle in Romans. In Romans chapter 14, uh, we, that we don't have time to go into today. And in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it says this, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Anytime we're doing something that we believe to be wrong, okay, even if it's maybe not in this situation, then you believe it's a sin, and you do it anyway, guess what? You're sinning. And that's what we have to be careful for with other people. So, the sin against your brother. Um, wounding their conscience when it is weak, and you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, he says, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This, Paul's saying, I will never eat meat. Now, get this, guys. Paul, Paul grew up in Israel. He's now in the Greek world. He just tried bacon. He just realized how good it is. He didn't grow up on it. And he's still willing to give up bacon and steak and carne asada. This guy's a better Christian than me, right? Um, 
And yet, that's what he's saying. He'll give it up if it causes someone else to sin. In chapters 9 and 10, Paul gives some other illustrations that we'll get to in the, in the weeks to come. But then in chapter 10, verse 23, he continues this thought. So flip over with me to chapter 10, verse 23. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. What builds up? Love, right? He said earlier in chapter 9, love is what builds up. Not all things are loving. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, if you want to go to dinner with them, then go and eat whatever is set before you without raising any conscience on the ground, any question on the ground of conscience. You don't have to worry about what they feed you. I, I wish he said that you didn't have to raise any question on the grounds of calories. That would be nice there. He didn't, he didn't. We, we just don't have to, we don't have to worry about the food and whether to eat or not. Instead, we worry about something else. We worry about the other person. What is eating imply to the other person? What does not eating imply? What does that say to the other person? That's what Paul cares about. And I need to skip ahead a bit. If we go to the end of this chapter, in verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to, to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I, I try to please everyone in everything I do, okay? Just as I, everything I do, this is what he's saying, I do. I try to please. I try to please everybody, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So we find out that Paul's answer is not really an answer, <laughs> They ask him probably a pretty simple question. Hey, Paul, should we be eating meat sacrificed to idols? You know, he could have just said yes or no. But as he does, he says, well, it depends, right? <laughs> it depends on your situation. But in this case, particularly, and this is our historic truth today, particularly it depends on how it affects others. You see, one of the, 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 the greatest moral principles that Paul is teaching us here is to not just take an account how it affects me. That we need to take an account how our decisions affect other people. And so concerning food, sacrifice to idols, well, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the company you're with. It depends on, you know, who's around you. It depends on what message it's sending to the other person. And, you know, as long as as long as you're, you're taking care to think about that, then eat or don't eat. That's his answer. So what do, we, what do we take from this? Here's one thing I see in this that I think is important. Because I think we spend so much time asking the question, you know, is it the right thing for me to do? 
We, we kind of think that we live on a, on a, we act as if we live on a desert island that all that matters is my decisions and what I want and what's good for me. And yet, this is the wrong way to think. This is not the way that Christians are supposed to think. In fact, a Christian, sorry, Christian out there, you, the phrase, uh, I just, I want to do whatever I want, that's one of the things that Christians are not supposed to think or say. Very clearly, in, in uh, Galatians, Paul says it this way, for the desires of the flesh are against the, the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, okay? For these are opposed to each other in order to, because in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You don't just get to do what you want to do. I'm sorry. Only little kids get to do what they want to do, right? And then we correct them. You see, um, it matters the way we live, not just because of what it means for me, but because of what it means for the people around us, because of what it means for others. And so when, uh, and this is the attitude that Paul is pleading people, pleading us to emulate, to follow, to imitate. And that's why the next verse is maybe the, the, most, the most famous verse in this section of Scripture. But this is the context that it's in. Because this next verse in 11, chapter 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That this is the attitude that he wants us to imitate. He wants us to imitate caring for what others think before we care for ourselves. Caring about not just my rights to do what I want, but caring about others. And I think it's in a very particular way. What I would say is our the timeless truth, the, the timeless principle that we can pull from this passage is this, that our rights are less important than our responsibility to love one another. Our rights, my rights, my freedoms are less important than my responsibility to love the people that God has put in my life. That is my first and foremost responsibility as a Christian is to love. You remember in chapter 8, verse 9, Paul warns us to take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. Paul's recognizing that you have the right, and yet something needs to limit that right. And what limits that right in Paul's view is the way we treat each other. What limits that is love. Loving one another. That's supposed to limit us. So our responsibility to love one another is greater than, than fighting for our own personal freedoms. In fact, the way we love, the way Jesus, if we live in the way of Jesus, in this way, then what we're doing is putting others' needs before our own. That's what it's all about. And so, here's, here's how I would uh, apply this today. 
Because that's the, the timeless principle. But if you remember, we're kind of, we're in a situation in a world where we're living in the gray, right? There's a lot of decisions that we have that are not like this one. We're not asking this question, but we're asking a lot of other ones. We can't always find them in the pages of this book. And so my word for you today, for us, is that when in doubt, let love lead. Let love be what leads our decision-making. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, make sure you care about what others are, what's going on in other people's lives. That you are not an isolated individual. You live in community, and so it's our job to let love lead. I think this is actually the same thing Jesus says. Go figure, right? Jesus says it this way, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've heard that one before, right? But notice, it, it's, it's, you'll know the truth, you'll be free, you'll know the truth when you hold to my teachings. What, what were Jesus' teachings? Love God, love one another, right? Love God, love people. That's his main teachings. So, so get this. I said that, you know, your, your uh, responsibility to love is more important than your freedom. In fact, in some ways, I'm going to tell you that you've got to limit your freedom in order to love. But get this. What Jesus is saying is that when you limit your own freedom, love people, then you'll know the truth, and then you'll be free. You want to find true freedom? Well, it begins with letting go of your freedom, loving, knowing truth, and then you will find real freedom. When in doubt, let love lead. And I've got some really good news for you in this. If you're in doubt and you're in a situation where you're not sure, and you, you make a decision based on love, and you do your best to do the most loving thing you can, I don't ever foresee God looking down and saying, ooh, you just showed a little too much love there. You know, oh, that's just too loving. You know, next time we try not to love, no. We, I mean, would God ever say that? And so we as Christians, if we're going to err, let's be people who err on the side of love. Let's be people who really love the truth of the matter is, um, our authors of Scripture could have given us all the answers. They could have added a few more pages if that's what God thought we needed. Instead, he taught us how to love. Because he knew that when we do, it helps us answer some questions. And the fact is that the, the, the timeless truth was that that our rights kind of need to be put aside sometimes, right? They're less important than loving one another. And this would mean that there are times when we need to sacrifice our rights in order to love. And I, I want to suggest that that's exactly what love does. That love is sacrificial. It puts aside. And the truth is that any love that is sacrificial, and this word here you could replace with biblical, you could replace with Christian, any love that is Christian, any love that is Christ-like will always put a limit 
on freedom. It always, in your notes, it says, will lead you to limit your freedom. You see, it does that because that's what love does. Love always puts a limitation on us, especially human love. This is the unique thing that's different about God than us. God is limitless, right? There, there, there's no limitations on God. He can love everyone. And yet, humans, you are not. Every decision to love one is saying no to others. Think about it. Um, in marriage covenants, marriage ceremonies at times, there's still the traditional vows will say something like, do you take this woman, do you, do you forsake all others to give yourself only to them? In other words, will you say no? Almost 20 years ago, my wife said no to three billion guys. <laughs> she chose this one. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it unique, is the limiting. Um, just this last week, we got to honor um, one of my heroes, Pastor Greg Lane. He'd hate that I'm using him in a sermon, right? But um, we got to honor him um, in our staff, and we had a special lunch for him. And, and a, a bunch of us got to get up and, and do our best to put into words what 39 years of ministry means. So that, you know, it's, it's one of those impossible things. And yet, one of the th refrains that I heard many people say, um, I, I, I heard it, I believe it, and I'm guessing if you know Greg, you know it too. And that is that when Greg was in a conversation with you, he had, you had all of his attention. He was there. And it didn't matter what else was going on. He had you, right? And, and he does this. He's so good at this. It doesn't matter if, like, the phone is buzzing or what else is going on around. You, he's there. And what he's doing is limiting all of the other options and focusing on you. That's what love does. That's what's so unique about it. And this is the kind of love that we need to learn how to practice today. A, a love that limits our own options and says, I love and care for you. And here's the point, though, for today. That this kind of learning how to live like this it is not just another, another good thing that we do. Okay, now, it, it is. It's, it's a good thing. But what I want to suggest to you today is that actually learning how to live in love is what Paul is suggesting helps us answer the problems that we face in our world. To start answering the questions. Because when in doubt, we let love lead. And so I'd like to say this way, that learning a lifestyle of love today is the best way to prepare for life in the gray. When life gets, we have all the questions. The questions that we don't even know are there yet, right? Um, we're going to face next year, years to come. We're going to face new questions. We didn't think three or four years ago, that we'd be facing questions about masks and things, right? No, there's always going to be new questions that are gray that the Scripture doesn't quite point to. And what Paul is suggesting here is that when we learn to live a lifestyle of love now, today, that helps us make decisions because we just know we're following the way of love. It helps us answer all the questions. That seems to be 
the big answer that he left us with, right? So how do we learn to do this today? You know, um, I think we start with small things. I, I think we can start doing this now, and I think there's probably things that each of us can start doing today. Um, you know, it can't even be a little thing. It doesn't take much, like, like a smile. Like a, you know, there's these three phrases that I don't think we say enough. Um, and especially, I'd say, if you're like, if you're in a, you know, if you have employees and you're a boss, um, hello. <laughs> it's amazing. What, like noticing somebody, walking by, I mean, hello. Um, you know, things, things are hard words to say at times, thank you. I'm sorry. Talk about, like, our, our rights, put them aside. <laughs> Even, even when you're not, you may not feel wrong. What if, we, um, what if we, like, actually picked up someone else's trash? What, what if uh, when you go out, um, not today because you're going to go to Greg's uh, party afterwards, but let's say you go out to a, you know, tonight. You go out to that nice steakhouse, Sizzler. And, uh, and there's a server there who's, who's uh, doing the best they can. And what if you really bless them by being kind? You guys, I don't know if you realize, but sometimes the difference between being extravagant and being cheap, you guys realize sometimes that's like a dollar, like an extra dollar tip. Wow, that's extravagant, right? I mean, we can bless people even in little ways. And as Christians, I think we need to do that all the more. What if you let someone else go in front of you in line? <laughs> What if we really, what if we stopped looking at our watch and looking at our phone and gave people attention? I mean, little things like that. Because this, this is what I think Paul's asking us to do, and he's leading us there. I mean, this is clearly in the text because this is the, the first time he mentions love. You know the next time he mentions love? He's leading 1 Corinthians 13. This is the passage on love. So we might say something like, you know, be kind. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor people. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Stop keeping your list. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes, it perseveres. One of the sad things is I think that we only read that at weddings. As if that's what romantic love is supposed to look like. But can I tell you, that's not why, where Paul puts it. It would be great if, I mean, romantic love had that in it, no doubt. But that kind of love is what Paul is encouraging us all to live even with those people. Yep. So, the best place that we can learn this attitude, the attitude that Paul says, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, the, the best place we can learn that is the example that Jesus set for us. Because here, Paul, Paul's almost using the same words that he would use in Philippians. 
when he says that you're in your relationships with one another, okay, those same people, this is in context of community, in context of the people around you, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because this was Jesus' mindset. Who? Being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus didn't take his rights and claim them. He didn't say, no, I, I have the freedom. He didn't use them to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is a beautiful word. The word is kenosis here, and it is, implies an emptying, a self-emptying, saying, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be less than for the sake of. And this is what makes Jesus' love so amazing, is that he would give up his place. He would give up his rights. He would limit his own freedom. That's what love is. Not even that, but by taking a very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the example that we've been given. This is how we are supposed to love. And so the only question that I have is one that I can't answer for you. But the question is, what is today's truth for you? What is it that you need to, to do? What is it you need to say? How is it that you can commit to loving today because let me tell you it will help you as you make all the hard decisions down the road let's learn to live a lifestyle of love today so it'll prepare us for living life in the grave Lord that's our prayer it's our prayer that we would learn to love the way you loved us not not to earn, because you've done all the work for us. But because you've done this for us, because you've loved us so well, we pray that as a response, we would learn to love people around us. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us to let love lead in all of the questions we have. And in so doing, I pray that you will find all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.